Hello, Pesto Posse. Welcome to Pesto Pete's Podcast. I'm your host, Pesto Pete, and we are talking about episode nine. Yes, approaching double digits. And if you are a loyal listener, you would understand that we're actually already at episode nine because episode eight became eight A and eight B because of a technical difficulty. But here we are at uh, episode nine. And that clicking noise in the background is my trusty companion, Luca, doing her rounds before she hits the hay tonight. But coming to you from the man cave, I'm solo, a little bit difficult trying to pin some people down for a podcast, and I didn't want to keep you waiting too long. It's been almost a month since our last podcast, and I apologize for that. But it's kind of difficult to, to, uh, to get people gathered around to speak in a microphone. Um, we're all separated by some distance. So I'm coming to you alone tonight from the man cave and I'm sitting here and it's kind of an interesting man cave right now because I've got two lines set up. I've got all my hunting uh, clothing, all my camo gear on one side and all my socks, gloves and and in sundries like face masks and things like that on the other. Uh, I did a big washing this past weekend, hung everything out to dry, had a vicious rainstorm, which was okay. I don't mind my clothes getting rained on, but then we had threats of storms and things like that with, I guess, part of it's Hurricane Dorian coming up the coast. But um, so I hung them in here and I'm not overly concerned with scent. I'm learning more and more that I think the scent products are probably a little bit oversold and it's a little bit of black magic. But you know what? My opinion is if Anything gains me a couple extra seconds, great. But I guess, you know, it's all about judging the wind and understanding your quarry and things like that. So here I am looking at all my stuff hanging there, ready to be treated with pyrethrin. And we've talked about that in the past. And if you are an outdoors person and you uh, are concerned about ticks and and other, you know, insect-borne problems like uh, Lyme disease or babiosis or triple e or all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world use pyrethrin on your clothes on your tents on your gear don't spray it on your on your skin but this stuff is incredible we spend an awful lot of time sitting on the ground sitting in trees and i can tell you i've had lime twice neither time has it happened while i've been hunting because my clothes are treated it's usually when i'm putzing around the yard or one year i believe it was when i was helping a friend of ours um, gather up and uh, harvest some grapes at his vineyard. Uh, we do that as a, a courtesy to him, so he allows us to hunt his property. But a beautiful October Indian summer day, and, and I was completely unprepared to, uh, to be knee-deep in the grass. And I think that's probably the second time I got it. Both times I was lucky, got it, uh, caught it early and did not suffer the, the vicious effects of Lyme, but did have some some effects. And uh, I'll tell you, it's ugly, folks. So protect yourself with Perithermin. Um, they are not a sponsor, but Quiet Cat is. Um, and want to recognize my sponsor early on here, Quiet Cat, Q-U-I-E-T-K-A-T.com. Quiet Cat, they're electric, um, all-terrain vehicle bicycles that are terrific. They don't leave a big mark on the... Uh, on the environment, they don't leave a lot of noise. There's no, you know, exhaust that's going to spook game. They're all electric, all terrain, great pieces of equipment. And if you use the promo code 
P-O, like post office, the number 20 and the percent symbol. When you're online, you'll get 20% off any of their bikes. They're not inexpensive pieces of equipment, but they're worth every penny. And 20% is a great deal. So check them out online. They've got great accessories. Also check them out on Instagram. And put in Quiet Cat. I think it's Quiet Cat Bicycles. But put in Quiet Cat, it'll come up. And they get a lot of great photos from folks that own the product. Sending photos from all over the country, all over the world. And uh, two, three, four, five a day that I've seen on Instagram. And some great photos. Great testimonial. So check them out, quietcat.com, Q-U-I-E-T-K-A-T.com, and use that promo code PO20% to get 20% off any bike. So support them, follow them, check them out on Instagram. Uh, great folks. So again, I'm solo tonight. I have a, an agenda. I've had a list of things to talk about. And I will say, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know how these folks who have done hundreds of podcasts keep track of everything they say but you kind of do find yourself blending things together so i'm going to try to keep it as clean as i can tonight cover some things we haven't talked about um I'm, you're going to hear some pages flip because i've got notes and you'll hear it as i speak but uh, there's some things i wanted to talk about really simple stuff but we've got a lot of exciting things coming up and and um i mentioned this is episode nine i expect 10 11 and 12 to be fairly quick uh, we've got some some uh, seasons coming up real soon. I've got uh, opening day of deer season in Rhode Island, bow season, about a week or so away, a week from this Sunday. And our plan is to get down to, to Rhode Island, do a little fishing, do a little hunting, and, and have a podcast in between with a special guest, a loyal listener that um, will lend very, very well uh, to the to the conversation. So stay tuned. We'll have more to that, but that's precisely why I've got all these, this camo gear hanging here, which gets the hair on my neck standing on end. Did some practicing uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks. And as a matter of fact, check me out on Instagram at Pesto Pete's Podcast. There's a picture of my, uh, my first Robin Hood. And for those of you who uh, aren't really in tune with the, the bow hunting community or bow shooting community, I actually at 30 yards put an arrow in an arrow and uh, almost perfectly, I mean, it, it it made the receptive arrow seem like, you know, when you see those videos of a snake eating a deer, it basically just, the arrow I shot went straight into the knock, blew the knock apart, but went straight in and just expanded the, uh, the, the other arrow. And I'm kind of looking to my upper right and looking at both of those that are now hanging in my, in my man cave. But you know, people are like, oh, that's really cool. That's great. Well, that's about 22 bucks worth of arrows that I just wasted. But it was cool. And I plan to never shoot at the same spot on the target again uh, to save myself some dough. But as a matter of fact, it, it was funny. I sent it out to some buddies of mine from my from the main camp. And Jimmy Kaiser said uh, he's got three practice arrows and he purposefully aims at different spots on his target to avoid getting a Robin Hood so he doesn't waste a bunch of money. So cool stuff, but, um, costly in its own way. Um, speaking of that, we've got that coming up in, in a couple of months, um, main camp's really cool. About 12 or 13 guys. I plan to do a podcast from there this year. If they, if they allow me, I'm the NFG, um, NFG, FNG. 
that would stand for, and I'll keep it clean, friggin' new guy. I'm the FNG. So for me to uh, to force everyone into a podcast might be a, a little bit of a stretch, but I'm hoping to do so. Bunch of great hunters, um, you know, several of which I'm envious of as it relates to their hunting uh, heritage. You know, Woody, great hunter. Brian, excellent hunter. Um, Donnie, who up at camp is out before everyone back last, and he's always out in the woods. Um, Brother Denny, they share a a, uh, a lease out in Ohio uh, that they had they head out to a couple times a year. Um, you know, Anthony's killed his share of moose. Chief held the the state record in Maine for a moose shot with a bow for a couple of years way back. It was a monster. Shot it, and I think we talked about this on a previous podcast, but he shot it with a traditional bow, with a, long, a Penobscot longbow, and uh, was was surpassed a few years later by a guy with a wheel bow with a compound, which is a shame. They should have different, um, I think they should have different categories for it. But, but you know, it just great group of guys, great bunch of hunters. We shoot birds, we, we hunt deer. Some of the some of the guys have moose permits and, and they do do the moose uh, the moose hunting thing and and I can't wait till this year to get up there. We're going up in mid November and looking forward to it. It's just a really nice uh, week or a few days of, of camaraderie and every year we we uh, you know you you rekindle those relationships. It's a lot of fun. So looking forward to that and this will be my first year I big game hunt up there. I'm gonna take up my 1925 Winchester model 1894 lever action 3030. The little boy's pushing about 100 years old. Check me out on Instagram. There's a video of me shooting shooting that rifle. And uh, it's been a dream of mine. I've owned it for a few years now. It's been a dream of mine to kill a deer with it. So let's hope that this uh, this is actually the year that I uh, that I get to put up a, a bead on a, on a deer. As you may or may not know, in Massachusetts, we don't have a rifle season. It's all bow, shotgun, muzzle loader. Uh, we have no rifle season, so I, I don't have the luxury of getting out for a, a week or two a year in Massachusetts to hunt with a rifle. And we hunt Rhode Island, but there's just no room for rifles down there. So this will be my uh, my goal in uh, 2019 to put the bead from a close to 100-year-old rifle on a deer. And I haven't uh, haven't actually hunted in Maine with a rifle since 1991. And uh, looking forward to it. So, brief episode tonight, like I mentioned. But looking forward to getting down to Rhode Island. We're going down on Saturday, clear some brush. Get some great reports from our friends down in, uh, in Rhode Island. I, I don't want to talk specifically about where, but um, Woody and I are going to head down, put up some tree stands, picked up a new ladder stand. And we find those ladder stands incredible. They're not easy to to install to put up, but down there we we don't really have a lot of crazy treacherous land to put them up. Like not like in the swamp we hunt here in Massachusetts, where you got to kind of pack everything in and 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 put stands up from there. In Rhode Island, we we generally have pretty easy going with these heavy stands to get them in, but. I've been recently following, and I guess I don't follow, but I keep tripping over this guy on Instagram who, who's three years removed from his fall from a tree stand. 
and I, I got to look it up, but it's multiple surgeries. The recovery is incredible. There was one uh, post he put in, I think, earlier in the week, and it was the the remnants of what they took out of him, you know, after getting his bones set after three years, and it's plates and screws and all these things, and you know, it just lends to my original comment earlier in the podcast about pyrethromin and protecting yourselves from ticks and, and insects and things like that, but also protect yourself and be safe about entry and exit from your tree. If you're going to be up 20 feet and everyone says, oh, 20 feet, how bad could that be? Well, you know what? When you're falling, you know, precipitously and you're not going to land on your feet, a lot of, a lot of bad shit can happen. Um, in the, in the ladder stands that we use in Rhode Island, we always strap in when we get in the tree and it's not a treacherous climb. It's not a, you know, treacherous climb out. But when you're in the stand, anything can happen. You fall asleep, you react or whatever, and, and you could be 18 or 20 feet from the ground and, and land on your head and nothing good happens then. But when we hunt hang-on stands, we're using lifelines now. And if you're not familiar with those, are, look those up. Muddy makes a really good one. You attach the rope somewhere on the ground. It's got a prussic knot. And a prussic knot is this really clever knot that you lock into and you walk your way up, you know, your ladder or your, or your steps into your stand. And when you get to the stand, you're still locked in. And if you happen to fall or slip or whatever, that prussic knot tightens like concrete and you, you end up, you know, obviously hanging and, and getting your, yourself back on your, on your steps and, and back into your stand. But you end up hang, uh, you end up, locked in above your stand so you don't need a tree strap and things like that and then on your way down you're just walking your way down and, and feathering that that knot down and you're you're safe 100 percent of the time so keep that in mind um years ago many years ago probably 20 25 years ago um, i had a customer up in maine and i was visiting with him and one of his assistants had been bow hunting and was in his stand and tree stand about 20 feet up shot a really, really respectable buck, uh, was so excited. And, you know, his, his mind overtook his body and he stepped off his tree stand, landed on the ground. I don't know the details of how he landed, but immediately was amnesic, didn't know where he was, wandering on the woods. Uh, luckily, luckily, some other hunter found him and he had effects of that for a good solid year um you know not remembering short-term stuff not remembering long-term stuff it was he was uh he had amnesia and it, it it can happen and and luckily physically he wasn't overly affected like this guy i spoke about on instagram but i mean what's worse being physically disabled or mentally disabled or both so protect yourself it's it's not worth the risk the old days would climb up in a tree stand and rope yourself in with a piece of twine around your waist. And you know what? We all are lucky to be still hunting and still physically okay. Cause that, that any, any one second we could have, we could have been that, that same guy who, who three years later is still dealing with surgeries and so forth. So be careful, be careful, you know, 
in and especially out of your stand. You know, most people fall when they're coming down. So be super careful and, and protect yourself. So 2019, we're looking forward to a good year. We're getting great reports from our, our friends down in Rhode Island. A lot of little bucks running around. And, you know, Dave and Woody and I have, and Brian, have decided that we're going to start a little bit of um, quality buck management um, or quality deer management for that matter. But we're going to go with the bucks. Um, a ton of does down there. There's been days we've seen 15, 18, 20 does in a day. Um Bucks are a little more, a little more rare, but we plan on on not harvesting the younger bucks. We want to try to grow the population. There's a couple we've had on trail camp the last couple of years. I think I've mentioned the Medusa buck, a little tight rack, really heavy beam, but tight like a basket rack. And we're looking forward to seeing him this year. And, and that will be a, a harvested deer. But um, anything smaller than that, any any other deer like. I killed a small three-point last year, and it was just opportunistic. I needed meat. It was late December, and uh, and I killed that buck. But we're going to be selective this year. We want to try to grow the bigger deer, improve the population down there. But all the while, we're, we're looking at does. We're going we're gonna to harvest a bunch of does because the population is way off whack. Um, listening to a lot of podcasts and some scientific stuff, and unbeknownst to me and, and most people I know, I was never aware that deer, if left alone, will populate the, the environment with a one-to-one -one relationship, buck to doe. But what's happened is, over the years, does were just not, you know, regarded as a trophy, as a shootable animal. The guys always wanted to shoot the bucks. And if you're familiar with deer and how they grow, you know, naturally, deer are born in the spring. So everything during hunting season is a half a year old. So a year and a half, or let's say half a year, year and a half, two and a half, three and a half. So everything is referred to as the half year. We're going to shoot for, no pun intended, we are going, our goal is to, to not kill one and a half year old deer, to look more toward the two and a half, three and a half year old deer. And I think down where we hunt, I'm not, I'm not so... Um, it's not crazy to think that there might be four and a half and five and a half year old deer down there because it's it's not a heavily hunted area. It's heavily populated. Deer can certainly, um, you know, in, in neighborhood areas can really um, change their behaviors so they can live longer. There's a lot of coyotes down there, I have to say. And uh, aside from coyotes and, and car kills, there's not a whole lot of predation down there so we're hoping we're going to bump into a couple of three and a half or four year four and a half year old bucks um you know that, that kind of deem being harvested and we'll let those younger bucks grow um, the thing about the thing about deer and kind of uh interestingly is people say yeah we're going to kill a bunch of does and you never know what you're going to kill a doe may look young. You can't tell. There's no discerning factor. I mean, if you can read body style and this and that, but I don't think you'd really understand the difference. Anyone can really understand the difference between a three-and-a-half-year-old doe and a six-and-a-half-year-old doe and a nine-and-a-half-year-old doe. 
So you kind of take the chance of shooting an animal that's not quite as edible as, as it should have been. So that's kind of an interesting thing about harvesting does is you just don't know what you're going to get when you, uh, when you get that animal on the plate. So, um, willing to take that risk. We are definitely willing to take that risk, but cause there's, you know, as I've said in the past, we have not had a bad tasting animal out of, uh, out of Rhode Island. They eat some crazy Island type vegetation, but they are some of the tastiest deer you'll find. And, you know, maybe we haven't killed that 10 year old doe yet, but, and when we do, we may have a different opinion about the taste, but for right now, we're willing to, we're willing to take that risk. And, and the, the nice thing is, is, you know, we could kill a couple of deer for the freezer and, uh, Rhode Island does have a, a program where they, where they, um, send meat to, to food, food pantries and, and other places where folks can, uh, folks can get some protein. So, so that's our goal this year. We're friends with the deer manager in this area, particular area in Rhode Island. So, you know, our goal is to uh, harvest a bunch of animals and, and get them into, in the other people's freezers so that they can, uh, can get the protein they need if they can't afford it. So, you know, a little bit of, little bit of community service, a little bit of getting out in the woods and it's an incredibly long season. We start September 15th. We finish on uh, January 31st. I, uh, I actually wanted kind of in, I don't know, some kind of to create those clicking, that clicking noises, my little dog Luca coming into the room. But um, into her favorite chair, and in five minutes she will be out after she knocks a book on the floor. So um, it was kind of a, like a, a symbolic thing. I wanted to be out there for the last day of the season. I went down, took a half a day off, went down at noontime. I think it was four degrees. It was cold, and where we hunt, it's an island area, extremely moist, humid air. And four degrees is like four below, and it was chilling. Didn't see anything move. No deer, no squirrels, no chipmunks, no sparrows. But you know, it was a, it was a survival thing, and it actually felt pretty good to be out there. But super unsuccessful. But what can you do? You know, you always give it a try. So looking forward to that. Um, We'll be down there this weekend to clear some trails. Uh, like I said, get the, get our stand set up and, and get things rolling and uh, look forward to long season. One thing we will do this year a little differently, and we do it every year. We sit in tree stands on a windy, cold, blustery, overcast day and say we should, you know, we'll start texting each other between Woody and Brian, myself, and we always say we should be duck hunting and and. This year, we're going to spend a little more time. We've already agreed to forego some of the bow hunting with the, the slight chance of seeing a deer and get out there and duck hunt. And, you know, the duck hunting is a social event for those who haven't done it. And, uh, you know, those who haven't hunted much, you get out in a blind, get out in a canoe. You can kind of screw around a little bit. You can talk, you can chat. And for me... I love company. I love to, uh, you know, being alone in a tree stand is great for a couple hours, but the solitude can sometimes get deafening, <laughs> can get annoying. And uh, it's great to be in a, in a duck blind, chumming around with guys and, 
eating, you know, hard boiled eggs and jerky and a cup of coffee. And then you get serious when you hear the ducks, you see the ducks, you make your calls and that's when the action starts. So we're looking forward to doing a little more duck hunting this year. We haven't done much in the, in the past few years. As I've mentioned, uh, Colin uh, got his hunting license last year and he and I spent an afternoon in the duck, in the duck marsh in my canoe, uh, late, late hunt. You know, we got out there about two o'clock, nothing happening whatsoever, completely dead. And just before last light, we had a big, big flock of, of woodies come in one way, another wood ducks, another set of woodies come in the other way. And we started blasting away and, and missed everything. Uh, probably because we weren't ready, probably because we were shocked by how many there were. But by the same token, it was just as much fun as, as you know, putting a couple of duck breasts in the freezer. We had a blast. Um, it was a great experience for Colin, his first, his first experience in a, in a duck blind, a duck, duck canoe, for that matter. And we plan to do more of that this year. You know, I, it's really difficult uh, for kids to get their hunting license here in Massachusetts. There's a, a physical class you have to be in. It's uh, on the weekend. I think it's two weekends. I think it was two Saturdays in a row. And uh, they fill up really quickly. They're, they're very limited. So it makes it really difficult for these kids to, to get out there in the field. But back when Colin was probably 14, I think, I took him out muzzleloader season with me. And we, we get dropped off in these saddles that we, that we hunt, these big ridges that were cut by glaciers not far from where we live. And we're up on the ridge and it was just getting light. It was cold. It was snowy. It was just perfect. <laughs> I say that like it was bad. It was cold. It was snowy. It was awful. No, it was great. And he was up there with me. Coming up from the, the saddle behind us, we hear this sound of, of footsteps in the snow and animal footsteps. And I, I, you know, I signal him to stay still. It's coming up behind us. We, we don't know what's coming up. And just as it gets, you can tell it's right behind us. We both turn and it's a fox, this beautiful red fox. And just as the light's coming up, sunrise against the snow, and that animal looked at us, might have been a second and a half or two, and he realized something wasn't right. And he, he whirled and took off and headed off in the other direction. And I'll tell you, the look on Colin's face it was so exciting for him to be exposed to that. And that's, that's kind of the cool thing of being out there is, is you never know what can happen. You never know what can, what you're going to see, but you're certainly going to see a lot more than you do if your head's resting on a pillow or you're sitting on the couch gaming or whatever else. So I guess that's second uh, lesson of the day after safety is get your kids out there and get them, get them looking around. Even if you don't, you're not hunting, you don't know what you're doing. Walk around the woods. You know, walk around, it's, it's out there, it's, it's in front of all of us, and it's, there's no danger out there per se, you know, and be careful if it's deer season, obviously, but just get out there and enjoy the outdoors, and it's, it's kind of one of those things that we're losing track of, and that's a shame. Um, you know, it's, like I said, it's difficult to, to get your hunting license here in Massachusetts. It, it's even more difficult in Rhode Island. I mean, we, we as adults... Um, seven years ago, when we decided to hunt down there, Woody and I had to take, and Brian eventually, Woody and I took it together, but we had to take classes, two classes, four hours each, consecutive weekdays, 
at three o'clock in the middle of nowhere, Rhode Island. I had to sneak out of work, take the class, had to do an online course of 12 or 13 hours, take a test on that for 100 questions. Then after our in-person test, I had to take a 50-question exam. And because we hunt an island, and that's, quote, Mark's Island, we had to take a bow proficiency test. We had to sink uh, three out of five broadhead-tipped arrows into targets at 20 yards, pie plate, which we successfully did. But, you know, they, they unfortunately make these restrictions on everything, these requirements, and it, it dissuades people. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go through the trouble. It's not that important to me. And that's unfortunate because when we were kids, I mean, we got grandfathered in. We didn't take, there were no hunter safety courses, but we got grandfathered in and we learned hunter safety by doing it. And <laughs> this is not a pat on the back moment, but when we, Dave and I, the online course or listened and watched the online course separately. We ended up taking the hundred question exam prior to our first class at that, you know, two class, um, back to back classes. And I ended up scoring a, a hundred and Dave scored, I think a 98. And yeah, we watched the online course. But we really didn't study it. It was just stuff we had learned. It's, it's things we knew. It's common sense that you learn uh, things that you learn through common sense when you're in the field. And, you know, it was, it was funny as, you know, I finished a couple minutes before Dave and, and the woman said, oh, hundred. And I never forget Woody's face. He's looking at me like, like, you know, teacher's pet, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. Ah, I don't know what I did. And he, he scored really well as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's all about being out there and, and, uh, experiencing things and kind of learning as you go. I mean, gun safety is one thing. That's something you really want to want to focus on. But as far as hunting, I mean, you just, you can't learn it if you don't do it. So for those of you who are thinking about it, get out there, do it. There's a lot of great resources through Mass Wildlife. I think there's a mentorship program. And I'll tell you what, you want to get out in the woods and hunt? Go on my Gmail account, podcast at gmail.com. Tell me you want to do it. And I'll take you out. Promise. So check it out. Let me know. I'll be happy to take you out in the woods sometime. So 2019, still talking about that. This is an interesting uh, summer. It was the first time that I've seen a velvet buck. And I've spent a lot of the past 40-something years in the woods. Never seen a velvet buck. I saw two this year. One was about a month ago. Beautiful eight-pointer with a doe. I think he was 10 in the doe. I think they're probably brother and sister. They were just hanging out and saw him from yeah, 50 or 60 yards in someone's side yard and beautiful velvet buck. And if you don't know what a velvet buck is, it's obviously that that's the process where they're growing their antlers and eventually they shed the velvet. But check it out online. There's some cool, cool velvet buck pictures online. And I saw about a month before that, I saw a little Little guy, I don't know if he's a, he's bigger than a spike, but not much bigger than a four. And he was out in a, a little area near where I work. And of course, every day where I go by there, I look for him. But sporting his velvet antlers, and I was so psyched, you know, to get my, my he was my first, the uh, the big boy was my second. And to see two in one year was great for me. I've just never seen one. And, and 
you know, it's, it's interesting to know that, you know, in the wild, uh, deer actually produce one for one. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that we haven't killed a lot of those in the last 40 years, um, it's very close to one to one males to females being born to, to, um, to those. So, you know, it should be a lot more bucks in the world, but because we've, uh, we've, you know, selectively hunted more bucks than does, it just seems to be lopsided. Another interesting fact that I heard on a podcast recently that 25%, a lot of does will produce twins and 25% of twins are the product of two different bucks. So, a doe may may have twins and and the 25% of the time the offspring are from two different bucks because they will get bred you know and as often as they're in estrus i mean they'll just you know the bucks don't stop as long as that doe is in estrus so that was kind of an interesting i thought little factoid uh, but who am i to say so um you know here we go um won't be hunting much uh, upland game this year. There's not a lot of opportunity here in, in Massachusetts anymore. I used to hunt a lot of great uh, grouse spots out in uh, an area I hunted. A real, you know, I prefer the wild wild birds over the uh, domesticated release birds. But um, you know, we uh, we're going to focus on deer and, and ducks this year. Maybe a little geese. Geese are. I mean, it's funny. Back in the day, geese were one of those things. Hey, let's go. Let's go hunt some geese. And now it's like, geez, why, why hunt those? They look like chickens. They're on every golf course. They're on every front lawn of every insurance company. Um, it's almost like they, they just don't, they don't generate the same desire as they used to, you know, when they were highly migratory and, you know, oh my God, let's go. I, and as a matter of fact, I've got the coolest thing on my, on my keychain. I have a, a band from a goose I shot years ago. And if I look, Right over there, I guess. Yeah, right there in my man cave. I have the certificate. I um, I got the certificate back that, that that goose was banded not far from where I shot it four years prior. Um, so, so, you know, it's, geese just aren't one of those, those um, sought-after species anymore. But then again, when we're in, in the swamp and we're hunting ducks, if geese come over, you know, fair game. You know, fair game. So, um 2019 was a great turkey year for me. Um, we had some great opportunities. Uh, Colin and I went out a couple of times. Uh, the last day of the season, three hours prior to the close, I, I killed my bird. Uh, he never got a shot at one this year. But Brian and I had been out a few times, and and uh, Brian killed one. The one I should have killed, he killed. Yeah, that's right. He stole my bird. But we won't talk about that because the opportunity ended up being his. You know, it's amazing how a, a 10 foot difference in angle can can be uh, one person's bird over another. But, you know, it was it was fun to watch. It was a great hunt. We brought that bird. And I think I talked about it before, but we brought that bird in over 200 yards and uh, and Brian and killed it pretty dead. And, uh, you know, I got to ask him for some of that meat because I ran out of mine already. But we'll be heading up to uh, camp in Rhode Island pretty soon, camp up in Maine. So a lot of, a lot of good things to look forward to. 
we're looking forward to 2020. I think we're looking at next year being a, a year when we go out to Colorado and perhaps uh, chase some elk with, uh, with bow equipment. We've got a friend out there. He actually works uh, works for Quiet Cat, and he's got uh, he's got all the necessary equipment. And he's been a guide before in uh, for deer in, in Indiana and some other places in the Midwest. So we're hoping that we're going to hook up with him and, and get out into Colorado and hunt some elk next year. That to me would be the ultimate. And some people say like elk are like big turkeys, and they do have a similarity as far as the hunt is concerned. You know, an elk is a very vocal animal, as is a turkey. You can kind of locate by their sound. You can judge their action by their sound. And you can draw them in and, and play the, the chess game with them. Um, elk certainly produce a lot more meat than a turkey. And as delicious as wild turkey is, and everyone asks me after I kill one, do you eat it? Well, first of all, uh, unless it's a predator or a varmint, like a coyote, I'm probably not going to eat a coyote. I hear mountain lions delicious, and that I'd consider. I've actually considered eating squirrels too, although I, I don't hunt squirrels, but I'm considering hunting them this year because I've heard some great stories about some um, delicious recipes that, that can be made from squirrels. So I'm going to give it a try. We hunted them back in college, and we'd come out of the sand pit with them, and we'd leave them on the porch of this uh, pretty a poverty-stricken guy who, when we drove in one day, said, if you ever kill a squirrel, let him leave him on the porch for me. And we used to leave him a pretty good, good-sized pile of squirrels every time we left. And uh, we'd get a wave from him as we pulled away. So we knew they, uh, they went, they went uh, into his pot and, and, and helped him out. But um, I'm definitely going to eat squirrel this year. But as far as, you know, turkey, people say, oh, you eat them, are they good? They're delicious. The best, the best meat in the woods, as far as you know, fowl is concerned, is, is partridge. They're absolutely delicious, delicious birds. But I consider the the turkey to be very similar and a lot, you know, more mass. Obviously, is a bigger bird, much bigger bird. And uh, they can be tough though. You got to cook them right. I did a a turkey pot pie um, the evening before the opening day of turkey season a few years ago at Brian's house and it, it was a wild turkey pot pie that was absolutely fantastic. It was cooked slow and low and uh, and it was tender and delicious and and you know I like to think um, actually I can say that the next day was not only opening day but it was also Woody's birthday and we both killed the turkey that day so maybe uh, maybe eating the uh, the flesh of our quarry actually paid off. I don't know, but let's let's pretend it did because it certainly uh, was a successful day for us and a great birthday present for Woody. But um, you know, elk is an amazing. I've had elk a few times. I had elk burgers just recently. I've had I had elk steaks a few years ago. A friend of mine's boss shot a big elk in in uh, in New Mexico. A huge. I think it was number three in New Mexico at the time, uh, record elk. It was like beef when we were kids, kind of like my moose tasted that I killed in 16. Um, that was a really delicious animal. Um, no meat left now, um, fortunately, because it would be pretty bad at this point, three years later. But 
um, that was a delicious animal. And he was a, he was shot up uh, pretty high in elevation. So he wasn't a swamp moose. He was more on the high country eating browse and just a delicious animal like beef when we were kids. Um, so, you know, we, we eat everything we kill. We respect everything we kill. We respect the animals and, and preservation and, and things like that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of arguments right now about hunters and, and the methods of hunt, whether we're baiting for bears, which I'm not a bear hunter, but I don't discount anybody for the way they hunt bears. Um, hounds for mountain lions, you know, people think that's an unfair, unfair way to hunt. And that's probably one of the toughest hunts on earth. And, uh, you know, it just we just try to keep the heritage going because without hunters, I mean, the deer population you know, a hundred years ago was decimated. And if it wasn't for good hunting and conservation and, and consideration of the species, there wouldn't be the amount of deer there are today. And, and, you know, that's what we do. That's the fun we have. And it's all good, you know, good, clean consideration of the environment. So keep that in mind, you know, and then you look at things like the helicopter hog, hog hunting down, down South and in Texas and you know, we've got a we've got a population problem down there with hogs. They're completely destroying the uh, the environment. Hunt, um, excuse me, farmers are are challenged every day from the damage that these hogs are doing. They're doing millions and millions of damage a year um, as it relates to crops or the way they root holes and cattle breaking their legs and things like that. And and I don't know all the details as far as proliferation and how these things mate and breed and, and sire offspring, but my memory serves that a sow can produce up to 13 piglets three times a year. So if you can't get a handle on that population quickly, it's out of control. You're talking about upwards of 40 piglets a year per sow and just you know, eating machines, they'll eat anything in sight. And we've all heard the stories, you know, they'll eat vegetation, they'll eat carrion, they'll eat, you know, roadkill. They, they've even, I've even heard stories that they've, they've run down, you know, fawns and, and killed fawns and, and young turkeys and things like that. So, you know, we, I don't know if I agree so much with some of the methods, but it's a necessary evil. We've got to control that population. And the good news is, when, when they do these helicopter hog hunts, they're killing, you know, a couple hundred animals a day. They're actually feeding a whole bunch of people who can't afford, you know, good, good solid protein. So it all goes to, uh, it all goes to a good cause. But, um, you know, I heard a podcast today and speaking of hunting methods and they're trying to outlaw, I think they just recently outlawed trapping in California. And, um, California's always on the on the fringe. I mean, they outlawed mountain lion hunting a few years ago, and now they've got more and more, you know, conflicts with mountain lions than they've ever had. And typically a conflict with a mountain lion doesn't end really well. They're an amazing creature. They're athletes. They're killing machines. You know, I wouldn't want to be one of those people jogging through some national forest in California being stalked by a mountain lion because that in itself would not end up well. So we've got to protect our heritage. We've got to, we've got to talk about what we do well and how we care about the animals. We care about conservation. We care about 
you know, the balance in nature. This is, the balance is way off, you know, and, and, and until, and I say until, they'll never understand it. You know, they'll, it'll always be a battle. But, you know, we can only, we can only hope that, you know, our, our voices are heard just like the antis are heard. And right now, I believe the number is 4% of the population in the United States hunts. So we're vulnerable. You know, we're super vulnerable. We've got 96% of the population against us. And not that all of them are, but a, a good level of those are, um, a good number of those are. So we've got to, we've got to protect our, our rights and our, and, and speak about in, in an intelligent, educated fashion so that we can, we can keep doing what we love to do. So, um, I mentioned we're heading down to Rhode Island and I wanted to talk about a non-sponsor, but I wanted to talk about this, this device I found. Um, we clear some, some trails in Rhode Island and some of it's done with chainsaws. We have, we have blowdowns and things like that. We have to fix every year and you know, cut out and, and uh, offer ourselves access off of the animals access. But I found that I have a Ryobi four stroke uh, weed whacker, string weed whacker that has the, Attach, you can detach and attach different uh, different devices for different methods methods of clearing and so forth. And I found this brush cutter. It's a three kind of bladed brush cutter that plugs right in. You tighten the thing down. You the little button pops in. And I was telling Woody about it. He can't wait to see it in action. But when you fire it up and you come off the throttle, it sounds like the Gatling gun that Jesse Ventura had in the Predator. If you remember that correctly, they're out, they're doing their thing. The guy with the razor, you know, the Predator's all around. He's doing that crazy noise in the trees. He's visible, he's invisible. And he comes and he attacks the crew. And Jesse Ventura has this electric Gatling gun that just mows down the jungle to the point where he's still holding the trigger. He's out of ammunition. And the thing is still spinning and whirring. That's what this thing sounds like. It's unbelievable how effective this is. And I was cutting this weekend, testing it out. I was actually cutting small saplings with it. And you got to kind of go in gingerly, go in gradually. But it can cut a sapling a good inch and a half, two inches wide, thick. And... You know, down in Rhode Island, we deal with these vines and these things. They're kind of a watery vine. They're not, they're not heavy pulp, not like a tree. And I cannot wait to get down there Saturday and clear my trails because I did it last year with a, with a string, with the string attachment and everything got caught, everything got, you know, tied up. And it was just a, a hot mess and literally hot mess because I think it was about 80 degrees out. And uh, I cannot wait to get down there with this, uh, with this attachment and, and, and take to the weeds because you know, we, we like to cut these nice little meandering trails for the deer and uh, make it easy on them. The things we're cutting down is actually what they eat, but we just, we cut a small swath so that they're, they're still fully uh, vegetated, but um, can't wait to get down there and, and break out the equipment and, and, and get our stands in place and, and get ready for the season. So um, not much more to say tonight. I've been at it almost, uh, almost an hour. I wanted to thank you for listening. Uh, keep it alive. That's was my goal tonight. 
You know, I mentioned my sponsor, Quiet Cat, Q-U-I-E-T-K-A-T.com. Check them out. Go on Instagram. They've got, I just, I literally, I had done this podcast, hated what I did, deleted it, went around, checked out a little bit of Instagram. I think I had three or four uh, podcast, excuse me, Instagram entries from Quiet Cat. In that time, I was just kind of meandering around the, uh, the Instagram account. So check them out. There's some really great photos and things, and they're, they're a really progressive company. Um, remember your pyrethrin, remember your tree straps, remember your harnesses. It's all about safety, folks. You know, it doesn't matter what you, how you, how you uh, succeed in the woods. If you fall out of a tree, there's nothing good that happens after that. So keep that in mind. Be safe. Um, we'll be back in a, I'm hoping about a week from, from, I guess, Rhode Island camp and with a special guest. It'll be Woody, myself, and our special guest. And we may have a lot to talk about if everything works out really well. And, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to make a weekend out of it. So a little bit of fishing, a little bit of hunting. We'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be working it pretty well. So thanks for listening. Keep us in mind. Like me on any of the platforms I'm on at Pestle Pete's podcast, obviously. And uh, shoot straight, tight lines, and we'll be back in touch soon. Thanks.